Hello and welcome to Giant Mess, a sloppy sports and entertainment talk show about the New York Giants, the New York Mets, movies, comedy, TV, and a whole lot more. It's hosted by a giant mess, that's me, the real cinch Neil Lynch. I'm a plump and furry Irish-Italian-American who graduated from a Catholic high school but isn't Catholic and went to a college known for producing doctors and lacrosse players and then became neither. Instead, I'm a blogger, vlogger, podcaster, writer, editor, video optimizer, content strategist, and failed stand-up comedian. Also a dad, a son, a brother, a cousin, a friend, I don't know, a stranger. I have a voicemail. You can leave one at that voicemail, 862-BIT-1986. That's 862-BIT, as in comedy bit, and 1986, as in the last year the Giants and Mets both won a World Series, a World Championship in the same season. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel, by doing a search for Neil Lynch, Real Cinch, or Giant Mess. Uh, I think it's just youtube.com slash Neil Lynch or youtube.com slash Real Cinch. If you pick one, just give it a shot. Plug it in the old computer machine. You can follow me on my blog. That's neillynch.com, facebook.com slash Giant Mess. I'm Real Cinch on Twitter and Insta. You can also subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I don't think people listen to podcasts anymore. Do they in COVID? Don't you just, don't you just like slap on some Disney Plus or whatever you got going on on the TV instead? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. On today's episode, we're going to talk about opt-outs. I'm about to opt out from this fucking podcast, the way things are going. Yoena uh, Cespedes opted out. Didn't bother telling the team. Marcus Stroman opted out. He did bother to tell the team. Uh, so what do the Mets do with the with the pitching rotation now that Stroh's out and uh, Michael Waka is on the IL with shoulder inflammation? We'll also talk about the Giants. Sam Beal has opted out. The legend of Sam Beal grows. Will we ever see him prosper in a Giants uniform? Probs not. Uh, and DeAndre Baker has officially been charged. And uh, I don't foresee him being in a Giants uniform. So what do the Giants do? In the secondary, we'll talk about the, uh, I mean, I guess the reported signing of Ross Cockrell that wasn't finalized. And then do the Giants go after Logan Ryan? Probably not after you hear what we have to say. So let's get into it. Let's dive right on in. Not a whole lot going, not a whole lot going on in my life other than I gave myself a horrendous haircut. And if you're watching the video, you'll be able to see it. You go to the YouTubes, sometimes on Facebook, sometimes on Instagram, I'll post videos there. Uh, I might not post videos this go around because this is just pretty bad. <laughs> this is the second time I've cut my own hair uh, during COVID. And the first one went all right. I kind of looked like a Nazi youth. I didn't know how to blend the right side. I think the left side looked fine, but blending the right side just didn't go my way. I didn't know how to do it. And uh, you'd think I would know after 30 plus years of getting my hair cut, you know, with the barber, I'd pay a little attention, but I get in that barber seat and I fall asleep. I don't want to talk first off. And I know that's bad. Barbershops are where you need to shoot the shit. If you're a guy, talk about your latest conquests, accomplishments, achievements, downfalls, pitfalls, your woes, your sorrows, highlights, lowlights, what have you. Not me, not for me. I want to go in there. I want you to be focused and I need to be, and I, I almost fall asleep every time I'm in the barber chair. Didn't realize that barbers were open again. <laughs> I just didn't realize that was a thing. I didn't get the announcement, didn't get the memo. 
So I tried, I got sick of my long hair and how uh, it was just causing me to sweat more than I already do, which is too much to begin with. And I started off the same way I did last time. Number three, put the number three clip on the buzzer and you do the sides and the back. That's pretty easy for the most part. And then I tried to get too cute. And that's what happens when you try to get too cute on the top and the sides. I figured, oh, I've seen this before. They just kind of pinch and then they cut whatever's sticking out between your fingers and you should be good to go. And apparently I, I think I took out a huge chunk right in the front, like front right section right here in this section. This is where the, uh, the, the bleacher creatures are. This is the rowdy part of the ballpark. since <laughs> just a whole not, whole lot not going on there. Um, so it, it turned out awful and my wife is very polite about it which uh, I appreciate to a certain extent, but then, you know, you start to buy into it and you think, yeah, because it's just the two of you during COVID. You're not going into work. You're not seeing anyone. So you just say, you know what? It's, you look at yourself in the mirror and then you look at yourself again. And it starts to grow on you. It's like the more you look at it, it's, it's, you get the more beer goggles you get. And you're, you could be sober as a judge, but the more you look at it, the more you convince yourself, you know what? This isn't a hatchet job. I don't look like I've just been scalped by a, by a red wolf. No, this looks like I could pull this off. And then you get on a FaceTime with a friend and that's the first thing they call. They don't even say hello. It's just like, Oh my God, your hair. Yeah, I know. And when I was a freshman in college, that was, you know, when you hard up for money, you don't have a job in college or you just, you want to save your beer money for beer. You don't go to the barber, or at least I didn't. You have a pair of clippers, razor, and you just buzz the whole thing. Same level on all sides. And that looked okay because there was plenty of follicles to go around up there. And since in the 20 years since, they have all, uh, they all got their pink slipped. They all got their walking papers, and they've, they've hightailed it, and they've retired to the, uh, to the island. Um. And, you know, the receding hairline is in the front and then it's also attacking at the top of the dome in the back. And they're just going to, they're, they're joining forces right here down the strip. So I might have to go the Michael Jordan route. I might have to go the Brian Urlacher route. I don't know if hair plugs are my future. I know that it's worked for uh, David Portnoy Esquire, El Prez. So maybe that's it. I mean, most of my money now should be going to just trying to preserve my body. I think that's it. Any any other luxuries have to have to take a, a rain check, you know? It's like, well, we got to think about preserving your body and preserving your, your face and your hair and your look. That's basically all that my 40s will be. 40 coming right around the corner, coming in hot. Whew. But, you know, it's like I probably had it right with the haircut. There was a moment, there was a stretch of time where it was pretty much acceptable if I just let it be, but there was like one little, one or two little hairs that were out of place. And I thought, oh, if I just apply this clip and then if I go snip, snip here, clip, clip, snip, snip, buzz, buzz, it'll be perfect. It'll be my masterpiece. And of course, uh, slipped up. The hands are not as steady as I would like them to be. It's why I'm not a surgeon amongst other things. I mean, I also can't stand blood guts or anything else. You know, those, the, the Kevin Ware video, I haven't really watched that. Can't bring myself to do it. I remember seeing uh, 
Frank Gore. Was it Frank Gore? No, Willis McGahee, when he was at the U. I saw that and I said, no, thanks. Never again. I can't, I still can't watch the Joe Theismann video. Nope. Nope. And uh, yeah, I'm just a big old wet ass pussy. I'm a WAP, as they say. Boy, that video, huh? That is just, that is just, wow. (laughs) Cardi B. And is it Meg the Stallion? which is such a, a phenomenal name for a female rapper. Couldn't have picked a better name. And they're just like, I mean, I thought salt and Peppa. You know, we, I went to a, a social gathering, socially distanced social gathering, uh, not this past week and the previous weekend. We threw, on a little, we threw on a little salt and pepper playlist, and I still to this day get intimidated by, the, by that duo. Trio, if you want to include Spinderella. But really it was salt and pepper that got me all hot and bothered and uh, give me the old fear boner. You know, when I was 11, 12, they were popping off and I was like, I, I mean, this, I'm intrigued. I will continue to stay tuned. But if I ever get in a room with you two, I don't know that I'll be able to satisfy you. Me, a middle-class suburban white kid, not even in puberty yet, was had that thought go through his head. <laughs> if I ever get in a room with these two, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle them. And this, I, I get that same feeling when I watch that WAP video. Like here are just two women that are equally adept at with their mouth as they are with every other part of the body. I mean, just they're just jiggling and wiggling and contorting and just like, I mean, what do you want me to do? I don't even know what to start. I certainly know how it's going to finish. Shame. Shame, shame. So, WAP. Some people are calling it WAP, and I'm like, mm, I don't know if you want to say that around the Italians. I'm quarter Italian, so I'm a quarter offended. But so we did go to a socially distanced social gathering. Some would say it's a COVID party, but that's that was not the intention is to get COVID. If someone did, well, you know, that's that's what happens. Uh, it was a one-year wedding anniversary for my mother-in-law. Congrats to them on making it one year. Uh, it's a huge accomplishment. That's just like big-time, you know, uh, trophy case material. We uh, ended up playing a little beer pong, which I have. I think that might be my first beer pong of the summer. And I was a little rusty, but also first cornhole of the summer. And summer's already. I mean, summer's like over. I just. What the fuck happened to summer? Holy shit. Played some cornhole. Actually, think my left hand is not as useless as it used to be. There's a, there's a rule that we have to kind of level the playing ground that I have to play with my non-dominant hand, my weak hand, my left hand, which, uh, oh, it is so weak. I cannot believe that uh, sometimes I, do, I, I just forget I have a left hand, you know? You're just so used to doing everything to your right where you're like, the left hand is just kind of overflow, you know? Like when the levees break, they have like the backup gulch now. I think this is the backup gulch or ditch. Like it's just for whatever overflow there is. I'll carry like five bags in my right hand and then the the, the one bag that I can't get my, my right pinky on, that'll go in my left hand. So I would play cornhole with my left hand 
and play beer pong with my left hand. And uh, I actually got pretty decent by the end of the night. Of course, you know, it's about a trillion beers deep, a zillion beers deep, if you will, for all your bar, for all your stoolies out there. And Jared, Jared Hughes is good. So happy we got him. So, you know, I was a little anxious about the party. Not gonna, not gonna lie. It was not, it was, the gathering was less than 25 people, which I guess is legal. Uh, and, you know, I brought, I, I brought the baby cause Cass, my wife was, uh, what the hell was she doing? She was somewhere else. I forget. Somewhere important. So I know that much. But she would meet us at the uh, the gathering, and uh, you know someone tried to shake my hand right off the bat, and I said no offense, but I can't, and I should have gone for the knucks, you know the knuckles. That's like the go to now, the knuckles, and I just didn't. It didn't. I just was too too quick, too soon. I don't think of my feet quick. I'm not a quick thinker on my feet, and uh, that's why improv would have been a bad choice for me. Although I don't know. So, yeah, didn't even bother to say, hey, Nux, you know, just give up, give an option, give an alternate alternative. So that that dude was offended, which stinks. A bunch of people that I didn't know. So that that kind of creeped into my anxiety. Like, where have you been? Who have you been with? Tell me your whole life story now. So, you know, interrogating people here and there to see what the threat level was doing ocular pat downs as a uh, Mac would do and always sunny, but I ended up loosening I, and my, I guess it would say my stepfather-in-law. <laughs> I don't even know how to refer to him, but Poppy is what uh, Brie calls him, my daughter. And he offered me a monstrosity of a shot of uh jmo with that's usually the the nightcap that's usually the end game like hey if you're still standing and you still feel good about uh remembering you know you still have uh, a shred of memory left in little little noggin throw back a, a tall jmo shot and just uh coast into the blackness but yeah, I, I needed to loosen up because I was very stiff and anxious about everything. You know, even though it was outside, people are not like making out or anything, but it's, you know, you start to get, I get very technical. Like, is this six feet or is this, is this really five feet that we're talking right now to each other? Is this five or six? You know, I'm, I'm almost, I almost carry a tape, tape measure with me or I'm trying to like, you know, nonchalantly kind of stretch and reach out my arm because I know my arm is like three feet and I'm like, all right, that looks like that's about half of what it should be. <laughs> So, and I wore the mask into the house and I was like, and then I peeped around the corner. I'm like, oh, no one's wearing a mask. So I don't want to be the only one wearing a mask and I'm going to be drinking anyway. So yeah, that happened. But mm. good time though. Uh, Beer pong, plenty, salt and pepper on the up on the limousine, lots of food, so much good food. And I think the part of the anxiety is like I did the Peloton ride, PR, 45 minutes, no big deal. And 45-minute house ride with a British dude, Ben Aldis, 
who, you know, and I've mentioned this before, British people don't sit well with me right off the bat. And that's not British people's fault. That's just, that's just my own weird, you know, thing I got to work through in my head. I don't know if I'm still bitter about, you know, the tea thing, uh, King George, that whole thing. I don't know. But the Brits, it, the, the like Hugh Grant just drives me up a wall and chicks love him. But, <laughs> you know, there's cool parts to the British and sometimes they can, they, the, the way that they speak, the accent, it hits, it just slaps correctly, hits the right way. And it's, but it has to be the right way. Otherwise other accents, British accents, they're just, they don't really jive. They don't really connect and click as they should. But Ben Aldis, boom. Yeah. He's got like a nice soothing tone and him talking about Tiesto Tiesto, we we started with Tiesto and now we're ending with Tiesto. I mean, that's a horrible British accent, but that's why I hit my PR, you know? So did that, but I didn't eat lunch. And then I get down there at like after six and I'm just, I'm starving and I'm concerned because I, I see, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is like our first kind of medium sized gathering we've had you know three people in a room maybe four six people outside but no no larger than that and of course i also have my mother forwarding me like facebook clickbait stories and articles every freaking day about someone dying from covid with, with that's exactly similar to what i just told her like hey we're doing this thing like oh yeah someone died because of that Hey, we're thinking of like, oh, well, yeah, someone died. Yeah, but like this is, we've checked this out. We know this is good, 100% safe. Yeah, but I hate to tell you, someone died. Like, all right, everyone dies, ma. What do you want me to do? So, <laughs> you know, that's going through my head. I'm starving, I'm hungry, and uh, people I don't know, you know, it's just you, you come into a situation when you're like the last person to arrive, Almost never good. Sometimes it can be good. Depends on the crowd. I told this story, but like going into a Halloween party uh, in the Philly Burbs, you know, with a bunch of friends of friends. They didn't know me. I didn't know them. I walk in. Hey, what's going on? Shotgun this beer. Yes, sir. I will. I mean, that is a welcome. Right. That's how you roll out the red carpet. Here, it's like I'm the last person to arrive. I got a kid with me. No one else has kids. And then everyone's just sitting around, not really talking. And then you walk into that crickets, dude. I mean, can we just like erase this, loop it back 15, 10 seconds, and I can come with a boombox or confetti or a foghorn, air horn, rockets, lasers, smoke? I don't know, something. But it's hard, tough to walk into that cold environment. But yeah. I mean, I had a conversation about guns in the kitchen, you know, AKs and ARs and how to build your own gun. And I'm just so out of my element, <laughs> so out of my element. I was like, am I overdressed? Am I underdressed? I was overdressed. And yeah, but I had fun playing cornhole. 
have fun playing beer pong. That's all I need. Beer pong, cornhole, maybe a little food. So much food. So much food. They had, I mean, tray after tray, uh, like six trays. Six trays, macaroni salad, potato salad, a regular salad. And then uh, Poppy was cooking his world-famous ribs, which were amazing. And then you had like a dip, nacho dip, like a ground beef multi-layer nacho dip. So good. With like maybe green beans. And fuck me, chips, just a little bit of everything. And we didn't even make a dent. That was fun packing that up. And then I was, I was, you know, like a pig and shit the next day. Like, Hey, you mind if we take this? And they're like, yeah, of course. We're not going to eat all that. It's like, I was just kept on hoarding and hoarding and hoarding. And I still feel like I didn't take enough. (laughs) It's like, you would have thought I was back in college. So. Ended up being a good time. It was funny though, because you know there was that moment where we didn't know if we were staying over. Which I, you know, uh, we've we've now found via therapy that I don't do well with curveballs and things that are unplanned and unscheduled and just happen on the fly. I'm not good with that. I don't handle that well. And so not knowing if we were going to stay over, that's that causes havoc. It wreaks havoc in the old cerebellum. The medulla oblongata. So it's like, are we staying or are we not staying? Because if we're not staying, that means that one of us has to not drink, and that sucks. And if we are staying, like, are we going to be able to actually sleep on a bed and not a couch? Because sleeping on the couch stinks. And so, you know, (laughs) my sister-in-law is, like, giving us, you know, updates every, like, panicked or crazed updates every five to ten minutes, like, so-and-so is drinking and so-and-so has done this and there's no bed set up. And it's just like, ah, so yeah, anxiety was through the roof, but they ended up, they ended up getting two of the guys there to set up the bed. And of course they did it while they were, you know, half in the bag. So we go up there to like put the baby to bed and to make and put the sheets on the bed that they set up and it just keeps collapsing. Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I, it's, it's diet time for this guy. I know that's probably, uh, I probably said that no less than a thousand times in my lifetime, but it was like, if I'm just, if I'm just like leaning or kneeling on a bed and it's breaking, yeah, we gotta, we gotta cut the carbs, we gotta double down on the Peloton, but no, they just, they just didn't set it up correctly. It was like the loud crashes, several loud crashes that people were like, it became conversation. Uh, downstairs where people are like what's going on what do you think they're doing is he domestically abusing his wife it's like no your your poppy and his and his his bff just didn't know you had to swing the old lever to the right there and screw it in so i am still amazed that i i there are times where i have the golden touch with the child because her trying to sleep in a foreign territory somewhere else does not always usually go that smoothly. And I just, uh, I just got locked in vocally. You know, you, you hit, it's like the brown note. The brown note has, will make you shit if you hear it because it, it affects your, your bowels somehow. 
I think I have like the, the golden note when it comes to the kid sometimes. And I don't, I, I can't repeat it. It's not muscle memory just yet. I just, I, it's, I kind of just slip into it. It's kind of like Will Ferrell when he debates in old school, but she was crying her, her tiny little titties off. And uh, I came in and, and laid down a smooth, smooth R and B jam right in her ear. And she was down for the count. So, uh, so hung over the next day. So hung over. We had lots of leftovers. And I, I mean, we just, that was one for the books where we just both were just sacks of shit on the couch and eating all day long and watching. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty nice day out too. <laughs> we just, no, thank you. Um, My, well, we did go, we did take a walk outside to, to start the day to go to a park down the street from where, uh, you know, Gigi and Poppy live. And my daughter, I can't believe that she doesn't have typhoid or gangrene, the bubonic plague. Like this little human loves water. Drinking water of all kinds and all types. Doesn't matter where it is, how it's presented, what color it is, she is going to put it in her mouth. I've taught, I told you in a previous episode how she, if it rained outside, she would then, there are like rocks, this little like cul-de-sac, there are rocks in this little garden area in the middle of the cul-de-sac, she'll go. And she'll slurp the water out of like the the little divot in the rocks. Or she'll just lick the raindrops off the car. Like people think that we are seriously depriving you of basic human necessities <laughs> at this point. Because you just cannot keep it together. Just ask for water. We'll give you water. And no different with this playground. Gets on the playground. It had been raining, I guess. There was water left over. And we're just, we're all just sitting there on the bench because we're all tired and hungover. And we see she hasn't really moved. There's a tube, you know, with the, the cutout circles in the middle of the tube. It's a tube, you know, from the slide to the rest of the, the playground area. And you just, it's quiet. And you're like, okay, whenever there's silence, that it's not golden. That's bad news bears. And all you can hear is just like, <laughs> Slurping. She's slurping the rainwater out of the tube in the playground area, which is like on top of the fact that there's probably so many germs and hands that have been all over that tube. You're, there's now rainwater, which is dirty, mixing in with that, just like accelerating the sickness, accelerating the disease straight to all your most sensitive parts of your innards. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that was the first weekend after the last episode. And then we had the tropical storm, Isaias. Isaias, I think that's how, how it's pronounced, which was a hurricane or I don't know. All I know is if it, you can't call it a tropical storm and then it, and then it, the path goes over like inland New Jersey. That does not, that's not how that works. That's not, shouldn't be how it works. We're in an area 
we're in a county in New Jersey that does not border the water, okay? We are inland by a good half hour or more. Tropical storms shouldn't come close to us, and yet somehow we still got the brunt of it. So I had to, we have like outdoor, you know, I I was not, this kind of caught me off guard. It didn't, it didn't. I probably should have paid more attention. But this is what happens with hurricanes and tropical storms. You hear so, there there comes a time where you hear so much of it, but you're not in an area that is typically that affected most times. You know, and I mentioned this before in another episode, I forget which one, but there was one in 2011 where everyone got like super scared. And then there were memes about like, you know, a, a lawn chair that had been tipped over. So then Sandy comes along and we're like, ah, this is just like blah, blah, blah. Hurricane Patricia, whatever the hell it was called. And and that fucked shit up big time. But then this is a tropical storm. Like, is this a hurricane or a tropical storm? So it's like, this ain't tropical around these parts. Not sure if you, you know, checked out the Yelp reviews, but we're not tropical up in this area. So... I wasn't really paying attention. It was like, oh, you know, I guess, you know, PSENG or energy company, they have to kind of say, yeah, storm preparation because if they don't, they get sued. I don't know. And, you know, everyone has to do their due diligence that feels like obligated to. But in all seriousness, in reality, like, it isn't going to affect us, right? So didn't really prepare until, you know, the school, the daycare center is like, hey, we're closing down at 12 today, 12 P, noon. High noon. And so that's when I started kind of perked up and I was like, hmm, maybe this is more serious than we thought. And so I, we had outdoor furniture, patio furniture. So I had to bring that in, which uh, was a pain in the arse because it was raining at that point. And trying to get all that crap in was just such a, such a kick in the dick. Um, And then trying to do work, remote work, while that's happening. No bueno. You know, power's going out for this one, power's going out for that one, power's going out for me. Yeah, I'm trying to give mid-year performance reviews to coordinators, and it's the power keeps going out, and it always ends on, like, the most awful word, like, yeah, well, you're fired. And it's like... They think they're fired. And it's like, no, your fiery disposition is what keeps us all energized. (laughs) (laughs) um, But our friend's power went out because she is by the shore. And so she stayed with us for a couple of days so she could get her work done and, uh, you know, feel like she's part of the the 21st cinch. So that was fun having her over. It felt like a little staycation almost having her around, which was cool. And she also got to witness firsthand the hurricane that is my daughter. So <laughs> she she would not put up with it. And I think, you know, Brie would see that and be like, oh, you know. So she she kept Brie in check, which was nice. Um, and I got a full dose of Brie over the weekend, this past weekend, because uh, my wife would then help her friend that stayed with us move from her place at the shore. It's like, you couldn't have picked a better time to move away from there. You know, <laughs> it's like your power went out. Now's the time to go and get out. So she helped uh, Friday night and most of Saturday into Sunday 
with the move uh, to to Philly. And so I had the babes Friday night and all Saturday, part of Sunday. And Friday night, I had to walk the neighbor's dogs. The neighbor was away as well because we've been, we've gotten friendly with the neighbor. And so I had to walk the dog. And it was, and, uh, you know, again, I, the, my, my anxiety, my panic levels just never know when to just take a breather, take a time out, you know, just sit this one out. We don't need you going full strength all the time. It's Friday night, baby. But nope, not the case. So I was worried that I would have to, she's like, my wife just rolls with the punches because she's like that. She just grew up like that. And so she can do it. I'm not. She was like, yeah, you just take the baby over and then you and the baby can walk the dog. And I was like, I two, two living things I have to keep my tabs on at all? What? By myself? So no, I waited to put the, the babe, the baby down. And then I went over to walk the dog. But of course, like, the instructions, at least from my standpoint, it's never goes according to a plan. It never, you know, the they have all these things that they tell you, and then they, you get into the situation. It's like, well, this wasn't covered, and like I said, I don't do well curveballs, so I'm I sit straight heat. I need I need I need someone banging on a trash can for me to hit the ball. You know what I'm saying? Can't do well if I don't have a guy in second signaling that a curveball is coming. And so when something is not there that should be there, that's when it's a uh, panic city from head to toe. But I survived. Although there was a, there was a period where I didn't know, because it's been a while since I've walked a dog. I will put that out there in the world. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a long time. Because when my mom moved down, to South Carolina in 07. She just had like a backyard and the dogs knew you go in the backyard, you do your thing. And then we call you and you come back. Pretty awesome arrangement in IMHO where we don't have to get a leash and then put it on them and walk them. So it's been a good, probably a good 20 years, 19 years since I've actually put a leash on a dog and walk that dog around the neighborhood and had to like pick up dog shit because I think back when I walked the dog, it was a puppy and we just walked the puppy around the yard, which we had, you know, fairly a nice size yard. And so the, the puppy would just poop around the yard and then I would make note, okay, I'll go get that guy later. Don't need to pick it up right now just yet. Or we had, actually, eventually, I think we got one of those pooper scooper type things where you grab the handle and the jaws of life open. It's like the claw at uh, in Toy Story. But, like, you just you put it down, boop, grab it, and then you pick it up. And then I don't know what you do with it after that. I don't know what we put it in. I never did the bag on the hand thing. That's the TLDR, bag on the hand thing, when the dog shits, have not ever done that so I was nervous about that coordinating like that as I still have the leash knowing that the owner of the dog has said this dog is an escape artist oh boy way to put the fear of God in me or the fear of dog in me you know small dog very small dog but quick and fired up enthusiastic to be alive and to be uh yeah with me and outside so when the dog 
the dog, uh, this is the weird thing. The dog stopped to pee a good 10 to a dozen times. And I'd say the first time he stopped to pee, something came out, which I'm great. Good for you. The other eight, nine, 10 times that he stopped and lifted his leg, nothing. So it's like, well wishes, you know, good intentions are paved. I don't even know what the hell the expression is. But all I could tell you is this dog was firing blanks. And I know he's trying to mark his territory and you got a lot of ground to cover, small dog. There's almost so much, there's only so much urine to go around in that bladder. But damn, like you gotta realize you you just you're running on empty there, fella. But anyway, he stops to take a poop. And that's when I know, okay, I gotta get the bags out, the little plastic baggies. And as I'm trying to like rip the plastic bag off, I'm fearing with all, all 72 inches of height and 240 pounds of, of weight, fearing that this dog is going to just fucking take off. Like it's quick. It's a lightning bolt. So I, as I'm, I'm clutching, I like wrapped the leash around my fist and clenched it hard as I'm trying to rip the plastic bag. Got it on my hands in a way that I could grab it and then whoop, pull it out and we're good to go. But then I was trying to also knot the plastic bag. So that was round two of the fear cycle where I think, okay, as I'm knotting it, he's going to take off again. And uh, no, he, he did not, thankfully. He did give me another spook though. I mean, it's a fucking dog walk. At night, Neil, like in a complex of people that are just trying to go to bed off of, you know, a, a quiet street in the middle of nowhere. Like what, what do you, what, I don't know what happened to me <laughs> that I have these thoughts, but you know, I'm walking him and he's, and he does this thing where his ears go straight up. So he's noticed something's on his radar. And he is just like furiously trying to get at something. And I can't see it. And I think, okay, could be a deer. And I feel like deer I can handle. Like the deer will run away. It's not going to like, if it comes at me, hoofs out. I think I could defend myself using the dog as a shield. But there have been talks about like there's a fox in the area. And it's like, okay, foxes shouldn't be a problem. But then there's talk about coyotes coyotes and and that i and then i remember like talking to my father-in-law on father's day about okay so if you come across a coyote what are you supposed to do because you've come across oh that's another thing we talked about bears if you encounter a i think if it's if you encounter a black bear you're supposed to act you know make yourself as huge as possible and scream and yell as loud as you can appear to intimidate the black bear and i was like and so then i said oh yeah brown bears too right and he's like no no you definitely do not want to do that <laughs> like okay he's like uh you're supposed to stay perfectly still if it's a brown bear and i'm like i i mean i i've already convinced myself if i ever encounter something in the wild peace out man it's been a good run I appreciate and I'm grateful for everything that's happened in my life. But uh, 
you can have uh you can have my DVDs, my stereo, my baseball card collection. So coyotes, I don't even know. Like, do you you're supposed to get big and loud? Are you supposed to like make fart noises? Are you supposed to do the do like the electric slide? I have no idea. And so this dog is is like trying to like fly through the air, literally. Like he's jumping. And I've got him on the leash, but he's jumping and he's like getting serious hang time, Jordan style. And because uh, I think he sees something or smells something or hears something. One of those three. And I can't see because I haven't had contacts or glasses ever since Great Wolf Lodge. Don't know where they went. They're gone on an, uh, on an island somewhere with the dude from Shawshank Redemption. So I got that going through, pumping through the brain. And, you know, just a nonstop fear. When does that end in the anxiety? Does that stop ever? How many pills do I have to take? <laughs> How much do I have to drink for all that to go away? So, yeah, that was uh, that Friday night. And uh, Saturday, we binged Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2. Toy Story 3, Toy Story 4, all those and more on Saturday because I just didn't have it in me. Again, the fear and anxiety uh, of me being responsible for taking Brie to the pool was too much for me. Just couldn't, couldn't bring myself to do it. It's actually probably not that hard, but you just get inside your own head and you think to yourself, You know, with with the wife there, it's like two on one. One of you misses something, the other the other one's got your back. You got that support there. One on one, I'm not good one on one. I'm more of a zone defense type of dad. You know, I'm not a lockdown defender, and so I'm not the glove. You know, I'm not Gary Payton. More of a Tim Duncan hanging out under the rim, you come in my zone, I'll swat you type of guy, type of dad. <laughs> so, uh, so I we just sat on the couch and I just like kept feeding her snacks and snacks and snacks, just throwing like laid out a smorgasbord of food in front of her, and it's like, what do you want? Point to it, great. What do you want on TV? Point to it, great. And that's that. I mean. To all four Toy Stories, I think maybe Onward, Moana, and Lilo and Stitch. All in one. That's one, two, three, four, seven movies. <laughs> and that's how I got by because I went to bed way too late Friday night after 1 a.m. up watching American Dad like an, like an asshole. She woke up at like 7.30, so I was just like in no mood to do any kind of uh, responsible fathering. And luckily she she bought in. The key was that I kept the blinds and the shades down and the big shade over the glass port, the sliding glass door in the back. If she can't see the outside and how glorious it is and how beautiful it is and how much she should be outside, she won't know that she needs to be outside or wants to be outside. And then she just settles right into her spot on the on the couch like a good couch potato and veges out with me. 
I'm such a horrible father. Wow. Uh, and then uh, I worked on the screenplay a little bit, Saturday now, a little bit. I had stared at a computer screen for probably two, two and a half hours, and I wrote probably a page. <laughs> it's just so fucking hard. Even with like a half-baked outline, I just can't. It's not flowing just yet. That's with a, a few dozen Bud Light seltzers in the, in, in the system. I've started mixing uh, like hard seltzers with Tito's vodka <laughs> and ice cubes and one big camouflage mug that keeps nice and cool and it does the job. After that, I I'm, I'm feel like I am ready to take on the world. So the wife came back on Sunday with McDonald's. They got the chicken bundle. Apparently they panic ordered at McDonald's and got the chicken bundle. And so uh, had McDonald's Sunday. And then, you know, the hangovers, they last longer than the time that you were enjoying yourself now. We're at that age where I've been experiencing it for a few years now. And I think Cass, my wife, is just starting to get into that now where it's like, you better make it worth it. Like if you're going to get hungover, you might as well get the most hungover. You know what I'm saying? Might as well go balls wall because that hangover is going to last you a lifetime. So if you're going to get drunk, make sure it's memorable. Make sure it's with friends. Make sure you do something worth, uh, story worthy. Don't just uh, waste it on a night by yourself. Really get into it because you're going to feel that for like half the week, maybe more. <laughs> so, so bananas. But yeah, she was, she uh, came back with McDonald's and I welcomed it wholeheartedly. And uh, another beautiful day that we did not enjoy. <laughs> and Monday, McDonald's again. Why not? Back to back McDonald's. Made me think about that dude who like had, he's had a big, one Big Mac every day for like 30 years or more, something like that. And he's not like a fat ass or anything. I mean, I'm sure we, I'd like to take a, a look under the hood, see what's going on inside. It's probably not a well-oiled machine, but at least he's not a complete lardo. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? No body shaming? Right. So, uh. Yeah, that's life. Let's talk about the Mets. Let's talk about the fucking Mets. <sighs> Through eight games, the first eight games of the season, the Mets have lost games in which they had a 75%, 79%, 95%, and 97% chance to win. Yikes. So you could say we should have four more wins at this point. We're now, we just lost tonight 2-1 to the Nats. So we're now 7-11. Uh, so everyone gets a free Slurpee. I think that's the deal, right? SNY, Mets, no one? Okay. And uh, you could say the bullpen is a major reason why through those first eight games um, that we had a chance and let it slip away. It was Diaz, you know, but that was July. And you look at August and things are different. 
Let me see if I can find this stat. Come on. Where you at, girl? Come on. Where you at? Oh, where you at? Oh. Uh, so I think this is before the weekend, this past weekend. The Mets bullpen over the last three games leading up to August 7th. Ten innings pitch, five hits, zero earned runs, five K, five walks, ten Ks, and that's exactly what you want. And I think a, a big reason why that has happened is uh, partially due to Jared Hughes, uh, partially due to Edwin Diaz not not being uh, completely atrocious, <laughs> like somehow escaping. It's it, he's just he's so. Frustrating to watch. It, I'm flummoxed by watching him because he'll make two people look silly in the batter's box. Just silly, swinging through stuff, not even close. And then uh, the wheels just fall off for like three hitters. And then he'll buckle down and he'll he'll punch another guy out. Very weird. But the bullpen has come on fairly strong. And of course right when the pitching starts to come through and starts to be uh, dependable, reliable, the offense goes to complete shit. Of course, the big uh, stories since we last talked, Ioannis Cespedes opted out, apparently, and Marcus Stroman has opted out. Yo, we didn't know he opted out. The team didn't know he opted out. Some players had a suspicion that he had opted out. The coach had no idea he opted out. But... That was an interesting few hours. This was on the drive back hungover <laughs> from the from the so, socially distanced social gathering. On the drive back, you know, I, I see or I hear, I see on Twitter uh, the statement from Brody. Hasn't shown up, hasn't contacted us, you know. And, and, and so my initial thought wasn't, Oh my God, is yo okay? And that's on me because my empathy is severely lacking and I'm trying to work on it, I'm trying to put myself in other people's shoes. My first thought was, okay. And I since deleted the tweet because it doesn't need to be up there, but I, I'm going to own it. I tweeted out, police are on, you know, the, retweeted the statement from Brody and I put, police are on the lookout for this suspect. And I put an animated gif of a wild boar. All right. Knowing what we know now, pretty funny. But at the moment, we didn't know what the hell was going on. He was considered a missing person by the team <laughs> and by the organization. And so there was a possibility that he could be dead. And people, you know, even like Clem joked about it. You know, I think most jaded, cynical Mets fans who have been through the ringer and this fucking shit show three ring circus of a season all kind of had that same make a joke response because why not pile that on? Why won't yo just totally not show up to the ballpark? Of course, you know, he's probably out on the golf course or something. That's the initial thought. The initial thought wasn't, Oh my God, is he dead? Is he being kidnapped? Anything like that? I just, my mind did not go there, but other people, you know, they did think that way. And they were saying, I hope he's okay. And then you start to see more and more of that come through your timeline. You're like, ooh, okay. So I deleted it because you don't need that out there. They don't need that bad juju out there. People have been fired for less. So uncanceled for less. And I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm already canceled. I've been fired more times than I care to care for. Uh, 
So yeah. Uh, you know, there was a probably halfway through the game or more. We still hadn't had word, but the Mets tried to cover it up by saying, you know, that he's healthy. We know he's okay, but we have not been in contact with him. And it just devolved from there. So, uh, again, you know, I don't, I don't think people are against athletes opting out for health reasons because they want to take care of family, their selves during this really just insane time, not faulting anyone for that. But Jesus Christ, dude, give the team a heads up. And it who knows how it plays out or how it's different if the Mets weren't, I mean, what the hell, what the hell was their record at the time? Three and eight, you know? I mean, they had a really bad losing record, three and seven, three and eight. On top of that, Yo was really struggling. You know, at one point he was two for 15 with nine strikeouts, which is like, whoa, dude. <laughs> so, um, but to opt out the way he did, you know, it's just odd. Very, very odd. Contract year, DH. So you don't have to worry about playing the field and hurting yourself in the field. You can just really focus on mashing the ball and getting that big money in the offseason as a DH. Who knows if people are going to – he'll fetch the kind of money that he could have if he put on a show, but he didn't, and so he opted out, it's citing coronavirus. But then you see stories come out afterwards from like the New York Post saying he was unhappy with uh, – the team limiting his reps, limiting his at-bats, limiting his playing time because the his contract was laden with performance incentives and bonuses. So the more he's not in the line, the less he's in the lineup, well, then the less money he's owed. So, okay, understandable. But dude, we're not going to play you if you're not hitting the ball. You can't go two for 15. And I know people have cited, well, Pete Alonso, is he, he's hitting well below the Mendoza. And he's still in the lineup day in and day out. It's just different. Yo hasn't played in, you know, two years. Pete's come Pete's probably more in a in a slump, sophomore slump psychologically, where, you know, his he's his woes are carrying into the field and he's making errors in the field. Uh, because mentally he's just all over the place. And Keith Hernandez pointed out that his swing is just different this year. You know, he's his hands aren't as steady. There's a lot of movement coming through on the swing, and that might be part of it. So, you know, you could make an argument, and I've said this. Why not just sit Pete, have Dom, or have Pete just be a DH where, you know, he's not taking uh, his thoughts into the field and making errors in the field. So you have Dom at first, and you put you have Pete DH. But, uh, yeah, you know, people have said it's extremely irresponsible, the Mets, to make it sound like uh, Yo was missing and possibly in some sort of danger. They walked it back and said he's not in danger, but as usual, the Mets are making it worse. And, like, Brody's press conference was just one for the ages, saying that he wasn't trying to shame Yo, that he was just trying to be transparent in real time. And, sure, I guess I could buy into that, you know, if he doesn't, if they don't report it, are is the press 
like chomping at the bit even more. Like, why isn't anyone saying anything? What's going on here? Would the madness get even, would it, would it be even more out of hand? You know, the speculation and hearsay and all ruminations and all that. Or could you have worded it better? Yeah, probably. Um, and then th- there was this tweet. What a way to end the career of Yoannis Cespedes with the Mets. He came in, lit the city on fire in a run to the World Series, re-signed and took less at one point to stay, and then it was a rocky road with some crazy twists, and it ends with an opt-out. Here are his final totals of his four-year $110 million uh, deal, which with BV Dubs as his agent from 2017 to 2020, so four-ish. Should have been four total seasons, but ended up being three and whatever you call this season. And uh, Yo played 127 games, had 28 home runs and 75 RBIs. I mean, when you see those numbers, it it really just, it gets under your skin. And he's still, you know, still had problems and issues with the money and the contract and not getting played. It's like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. But if the Mets weren't, if the Mets were eight and three and he, and he wasn't seeing playing time, would he have stuck around? If they're three and eight, but he's, he's just hitting the shit out of the ball. Does he stay? If, I mean, if we're eight and three at that point or whatever we were, and it's a, Huge winning record. We're in first place. We're up by a handful of games. And he's tearing the cover off the ball. No fucking way does he opt out. So it was a it was a culmination of things. Poor performance tied to money. Poor performance of the team. Poor performance on his on individually. And then all culminated and he was just like, nah. And uh, apparently Brandon... Nimmo caught wind that Yo was unhappy with it and that he was going to opt out. But Louis, Louis Rojas did, had no clue and it completely shocked them. And Brody Van Wagenen had no idea. So it's just not, it's not healthy. It's not a healthy clubhouse. Uh, I'm actually kind of shocked the season's still going on. I, I would have thought it would have been canceled, I think, last Monday. They were they were saying that they were thinking about Rob Manfred was threatening to cancel it um, because players weren't taking it seriously and players here and there still aren't taking it seriously, which makes you wonder why they didn't go with the bubble approach after all. But because you have guys traveling to party with some friends, you know, driving up, partying, and then trying to fly back with the team, and it's like you can't do that, dude. So. I think Linda Cohn put out this tweet. I forget who, but the more teams that play themselves out of playoff contention, the list of players opting out due to COVID concerns will rise. It's like, yeah, if that's an option, people are going to take it, especially when there's no point in playing and you're completely out of it. So if it's not canceled before the end of the regular season, the end of the regular season is going to be super, uh, super interesting. Um, But part of me thinks that if they do, if the Mets do go on to like, Turn it around. I mean, when they were six and nine, seven and nine before they lost the past, like what, three to the Phillies? No, two. Three. I don't know. When they were six and nine, seven and nine, 
they were basically tied for the second wild card spot. <laughs> so as shitty as they played and as much as they've looked awful, uh, you know, they're still somehow in the wild card hunt. And you look at the rest of the, the NL East, I mean, despite the Marlins at one point being seven and one, they have a bunch of guys making major league debuts that are, were playing double A ball last season. And they have to make up all the games that they missed because, because of COVID. So you're looking at um, them having to play a ton of games in a short amount of time. You have the Cardinals who have to play something like 50, 55 games in 45 days or something like that. How is it even possible? You just won't get, you just don't get a day off and you have to play double headers. I mean, eventually they're going to drop like flies or they're just going to succumb and say, ah, throw in the towel. Um, so I don't know, but my brain's conflicted because I, you know, the, the mantra that we got to believe the Barstool Mets podcast, Clem and KFC and Kyle have been saying is like the season is fraudulent anyway. And uncle Stevie's coming re- referencing, uh, Steve Cohen buying the team. But it's almost like it's almost like a badge of honor to win this season because it's just if your team can survive all this craziness, it's almost you almost can't put an asterisk on it. You almost put like two asterisks and say, yeah, season was short, but goddamn (laughs) trying to fight off a disease while playing ball in under tense circumstances with uh, you know limited time off with all kinds of schedule changes and this and that it's like i almost think it's like an even more heralded championship than a, than just a regular regular season world series championship that is an ultimate spin zone on my part credit to me so the other major storyline that i i touched on other than stro is our, our offense just becoming straight up anemic? Just we got runners in scoring position. That one game where Yo was missing and no one knew what the hell was going on, something like one for 12 with runners in scoring position. Uh, I saw this stat Mets are hitting 172, 10 for 58 with runners in scoring position during their five game losing streak. Yikes. Uh, the Mets have had two or more runners on with less than two outs in five of the first six innings. I think that was on that Sunday. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to fix that. I think guys just with no one on base, the guys are have a more relaxed approach at the plate. And then when they get guys on base, ducks in the pond, they just tense up and they, they try to mash the ball. And it's like, you just put it in play. I mean, give us something. Bases loaded, no outs, one outs, just hit a fucking fly ball. Uh, you know, it's easier said than done, but and I mean, you can only imagine. And I think there's a stat that we're gonna that I'm gonna throw out there pretty soon that should illustrate just how much the offense sucks in certain situations. Um, but then we had a bunch of injuries at the beginning of last week. McNeil with lower back tightness, which he came back from. Rosario with left quad tightness, which he came back from. Cano with left groin tightness, which say what you will about Cano, but he was actually the best hitter on the team during that during that losing slump, that losing streak. He had 13 hits in his last 22 at bats at one point, um, but he's on the DL. And but those injuries 
afforded opportunities to some guys and it made it shook up the lineup and the roster a little bit and it feels like it has a little more success. Jimenez at second or short. And then you have uh JD Davis at third, which he he made some outstanding plays at third. Um I'd still like to see Dom get more playing time at first. But uh and then they went and they got they went and got Billy Hamilton. Could have grabbed Billy Hamilton off the pile this past winter, and now it cost them Humphreys. It's weird the Mets made the trade for Billy Hamilton before knowing Cespedes was opting out for the season. Just a weird coincidence. Weird coincidence indeed. Those are a couple of tweets that I saw about Hamilton. Yeah, I mean, you know, I thought we should have got him when he would, wouldn't cost us a prospect. And now we get him, and, you know, I think he provides I mean I for some reason I held on to the belief that Brandon Nimmo was a average to above average center fielder and then I watched him struggle with ball after ball over the weekend just balls that should be caught balls that he had such a hard read on anything hit directly at him it's just like forget about it so with Marisnik still on the IL which Jesus fucking Christ, Marisnik. Um, they went and got Hamilton, so he provides a boost in center field, boost on the base pass. If he gets on base, it's just he just can't hit the ball, and I don't know about his, his arm either. So, and it cost us a player. So I mean, Brody Van Wagenen. I fit, I think at this point you got to give him an F. For sure, I think that there's no real bouncing back from this unless this team can turn around and and I guess win a championship. But Jesus, man, the moves he's made have been awful. He, this is a tweet I saw. He has now traded six prospects to get Keon Broxton, no longer with the team, Jake Marisnik on the IL, and Billy Hamilton. Types of players available on waivers or on minor league deals, not a good use of resources. Agreed. Our offseason additions... This past offseason, Jake Marisnik on the IL, Michael Waka with a 6.0 ERA. This is before his, I think, his most recent start where he got, he didn't fare well. Rick Porcello had like a 13.5 ERA before his his last two starts. So I think his ERA is hovering under six now because he had the, uh, he had a pretty good performance the other night, I think against the Marlins. And then tonight, six innings, eight hits, two earned, five Ks. I mean, that's that should be enough to win the game, in my opinion. So I'm not going to fault him for that. But his ERA is down below six now. So maybe he's turned a corner. It's just the, the first couple games, it was like, ooh. And then Della Matanzas had a, like a, almost an ERA of 16 before this most recent week. So not looking great for BB Dubs. I would be shocked if he's with the team after this season. I think he's done so much goddamn damage. You think about the prospects we've given up, Kalenic, uh you know, Tony Buckets, uh, Simeon Richardson, whatever. Um, so many players that could provide such, you know, especially now given the situation with our, our starting rotation with Stro opting out. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, yay, yay. Uh, of course, the defense hasn't helped things. Well, before Jimenez, I think with Jimenez and Davis in in the field, we're, we are faring better. But the best and worst defensive teams by UZR, a 
friggin' stat I've never heard of in my life. Ultimate zone rating. So apparently someone has taken the time to divide the field up into zones. And this is used to measure fielding. So they compare the event that actually happened, hit out or error, to data on similarly hit balls in the past to determine how much better or worse the fielder did than the quote-unquote average player. So uh, at the top of the list, the Orioles, plus 3.9. They have the Twins, A's, Rockies, Cubs. Bottom of the list, the bottom of the bottom. Mariners at minus 2.3. Astros at minus 2.8. Reds at minus 2.9. Royals at minus 5.4. And Los Mets, the Metros, at minus 6.5. And that's what happens when you have outfielders in the infield. And a center fielder who shouldn't be in center field. And a second baseman at third. And I mean, when everyone's playing out of position, you cannot expect good results. And, you know, if you had just average players in those positions, who knows what our record would be right now? Who knows what our record would be if we just played average ball? (laughs) Uh and this goes in, in line with what I was saying before. The Mets have scored four runs for Jacob deGrom uh, on his, not his most recent start, but the one before. deGrom is 21-17 and 17 in 66 starts since 2018. Had New York been able to score four runs per game for him in those starts, he would have been 59-3 and three with four no decisions. And there would be zero argument about him being the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. With his 67th career victory, uh, DeGrom passed Steve Traxel on the Mets all-time win, win list, which it's, it's, it's like, it makes, it makes me, what? Short circuit. Thinking that Traxel and, and DeGrom are mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> it took Traxel 160 starts to get to 66 victories, and it took Jake 174 to reach 67. Ugh, I feel so bad for him because he's so good to pitch and he's just getting better. I just, I, it's, it's bonkers. The guy is like regularly hitting 99 and 100 on the fucking gun with his fastball. It's just, I mean, and it might be a little too fast. It's got that blister issue on his finger that he that put a little, Put the put a scare into everyone uh, on his start against the, uh, I guess the the Marlins over the weekend. John Olerud turned fifty two, uh, and I bring that up because of this stat. He received 07 percent of Hall of Fame votes his only time on the ballot, which is a travesty. Dude hit five hundred doubles, two hundred fifty five home runs, over twelve hundred RBIs, won three Gold Gloves, and had a I don't even know what that stat is, but it's a pretty good stat. Also walked more than 1,200 times compared to uh, 1,000 strikeouts. And underrated, cool guy, cool old rude move is when he walked. I don't know what it is, but every time he walked, he always had, he always had like the very effortless like toss of the bat to the dugout. It was almost like he, it's like he's emulating his swing, but it's, it's just tossing it to the dugout. I, I, 
they have got to change. There's got to be like a second coming to Jesus redemption vote for the Hall of Fame. I feel like there are, there are so many guys we talk about that should be in the Hall of Fame. They should all be put on, the, all those guys should be put on a ballot each year. Until they all make it in, <laughs> basically is what I'm getting at. John Olerud, before he, he meets his maker, should be in the Hall of Fame. There, I said it. Uh, we mentioned Rick Porcello. He, his numbers tonight, his numbers in the previous start, seven innings, five hits, one earned, four Ks, and 81 pitches, which tells you how bad he was at the beginning of the season, that he's putting up those kind of numbers tonight in the, the, the start before. Um, so I, my confidence in Porcello is back. My confidence in Mats is out the door, out the window. All this hype and all this talk we had Coming to the season, like this is Matt's is going to turn around. He's just got to be consistent. I think he's he's learned from his mistakes, blah, blah, blah. And then he gets his, his like fucking shit pushed in against the Nats. And uh, I just don't see him as a viable, I just don't see him as a reliable, viable starter in our rotation. But what are you going to do? He's like now our number two now that Stroh has opted out. And, uh, you know, fucking Stroman, man. He pitched four or five innings in a simulated game. It looked great. They had the pitching ninja, Rob Freeman, like tweeting out animated gifs, gifs of of just like electric sliders and change-ups. And he just looks so good. And he's very, you know, vocal on social media, Stroman is. And you got hype about him returning. Like he's gonna come back. Like, okay, we don't have Thor. Waka's now in the IL. Uh, you know, we we've lost Wheeler. Like we really need, you know, Matt's is kind of shaky. Porcello's iffy. Would really be nice to get Stroh back in the in the in the swing of things. And then he's like, oh, nope, I'm opting out. Like <sighs> fucking A, man. Fucking A. So what's the upshot? This kid claims to be a Mets fan. He grew up playing against Matt's, so him and Matt's are buddies. And, the, and this is the tweet that is really uh, the nail in the coffin. In the end, the Mets traded Anthony Kay, Tony Buckets, who's already a serviceable major league pitcher, and Simeon Woods-Richardson, who scouts really like and think he can be a major league starter, for 11 games of Marcus Stroman on what wound up being a third-place team. You know, we were in the... I, I mean, you could go back and forth on this. The debate rages on. I mean... We were not in contention when we made the trade. We then went on a fucking tear and were in a position to be, we were in the playoff hunt. We were in the race. We were there. Um, and, you know, it didn't pan out like we would wanted, but we were, we were on pace and we were tearing it up. And if we got into the playoffs, like if, if the playoff rules from this year were in, a, in effect last year, we would have made some waves. But... We didn't, and he didn't really make. I mean, he for all the for all the hoopla and like the noise that came with Marcus Stroman and the hype and whatever, he didn't really pitch that well down the stretch, you know. And it just sucks, dude. It just sucks. And he's gonna go into free agency. Like, I understand you want to look out for yourself. You want to look out for your family and you're opting out, but it's like, motherfucker, like why now? Why when you're healthy, 
Why now? Is it because you look at the team and you see you don't see a competitor? You don't like what's going on with the organization? There's something outside of, oh, well, it's just COVID. It's coronavirus. It just It's becoming, as many people have said, I guess you ha- you have to respect the decision. You know, you have to look out for your health and whatnot. But at the same time, it seems like it's a cop out now. The opt out is a copped out, cop out, as they say. So, where does that leave our pitching rotation? Where does that leave our starting rotation? Uh, I don't. I have had the game on mute, so I don't know if they have announced the starting pitcher. It was supposed to be Waka tomorrow, but he's got shoulder inflammation, and. We don't have Stroh, so we're looking at, we got DeGrom, Mats, Porcello, and then you're looking at uh, SNY put together this list of six pitchers the Mets could turn to for rota- to put to insert into the rotation to help out uh, now that Marcus Stroman has opted out. And the top candidate is Robert Gesellman, who is now off the IL. I saw him tossing in the bullpen. Over the weekend, he hasn't started a game since 17. Um, not ideal, but then again, nothing's ideal right now. Um, he's been recovering from a triceps injury. So it's kind of like next man up, whoever's got the experience, whoever you know gives you your best shot, and I, and I guess it's Gaselman. I know that We Gotta Believe has been pushing for Lugo to become a starter, but I, I'm fairly certain that Lugo said he didn't want to be an opener. So I don't know if he wants to be a starter again, but that certainly could be an option. And I mean, beggars can't be choosers, you know, if you do. So how does it affect your chances of winning? If you do insert him in the starting rotation and you hope to get five, six innings out of him, well, then you don't have Lugo (laughs) coming in, uh, as a closer or as the stop gap in the eighth or the seventh to stop the bleeding or, you know, to come in and get the hold, you know? So you might have to just insert uh Gesellman and, and Lugo, but now there's the whispers that Walker Lockett might be the guy that they turn to. He's not, I don't think he's on this list. Is he? I don't think he is. No, but that was another name mentioned. Uh, Franklin Kilom is the next one on the list. Uh, he had a Tommy John surgery last year. I, I'm not familiar, um, but he did allow two runs in four innings while walking none and striking out five in his debut earlier in the season. Kevin Smith was at double-A last season. Uh, back of the rotation guy. Not yet on the 40-man roster. Um, very little experience in AA. He only, threw, he only threw a little over 30 innings last year to be promoting from high A. So, But they do make, they do say like David Peterson was in the same boat. And David Peterson so far this year has, has pitched uh, uh, above expectations. Next on the list is Ariel Gerardo. Acquired via trade from the, from the Rangers last week. Uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess they needed six options. Cause like, why would you insert a guy that has almost a six ERA and a 1.51 whip? No, no. Then Corey Oswald, like almost has a seven ERA, 1.48 whip. 
Uh, allowed five runs and seven hits and three homers and four innings of relief. So that's probably a no from me, dog. And then Arasmo Ramirez, uh, last time he had sex was in sex. I mean, yeah, it's been, it's probably been this long. <laughs> Success in the majors was uh, 2017 with the Mariners. He's also not on the 40 man roster. So, you know, at this point, there's not much you can do. I think. Maybe you give Lockett a shot if Lockett gives you five innings of semi-decent ball. It almost doesn't matter who you throw out there to pitch because we don't hit the ball. We have zero offense. Zero for four with runners in scoring position with seven left on base today, tonight. They're just not, there's zero production in that lineup. So it almost matter, it doesn't matter who you throw out there. I mean, we got our pitchers, pitchers starting pitchers and, and bullpen giving us really good efforts and the offense is just not, not producing. So not looking great for the Mets right now, except for there's a couple bright spots. I'm going to try to end on a good note here for all y'all. Jared Hughes, uh, three and two thirds innings, a hit zero runs and five strikeouts. This was as of uh, August 9th. We already gave you Evan Diaz's numbers in August so far. Not bad. So uh, the pitching staff coming along. Mets are one and four at home this year. This was before the uh, weekend stand with the Marlins. One and four at home with a 5.28 ERA and a 6.73 OPS, which is like average, below average. So who's producing? I mean... Jeff McNeil has a bunch of multi-hit games. Michael Conforto and Brandon Nimmo reached base safely in all 13 games up to thir- the 13th game. Nimmo had reached in 28 straight games going back to last season. So you got those guys. But I the the bright spot for me that he gives me a feeling similar to, I guess, maybe Jose Reyes when he first came up, David Wright when he first came up, I guess you could put him in the same camp as Alonzo. If we're talking across sports, he gives me that same feeling as Saquon Barkley, as Odell, and that's Andres Jimenez. Jimenez. Um, should Jimenez continue getting starts? Absolutely. And I said that last week. I think, you know, just keep Cano on the bench if you can. Maybe put him at DH now. I think that might be the best answer. Try and alternate him and Alonzo at DH, depending on who's on the bump. But Jimenez has to be in the field, either at short or at second, every single game. The guy is making outstanding plays in the field, and he's hitting the ball, and he's smart about it. The drag bunt that he got to hit, he's had, I don't know how many triples he has so far. Uh, here's a list of Mets with three hits, three runs, and one stolen base in a game before their 22nd birthday. Jose Reyes in 05, Jose Reyes in 04. Ed Cranepool in 63, and Andres Jimenez. Andre Jimenez. Most hits by a rookie this season. Kyle Lewis, 21. Louis Robert, Louis Robert 19. Philip Evans, 14. Andre Jimenez, 11. I think, oh boy. Oh. <clears throat> oh, the power of Christ compels me. I don't know how you sit this guy. 
Um, he's just electric to watch, fun guy, enthusiastic. He just he's a he's a headlight. He provides he's a spark plug. He provides that jolt that the offense so desperately needs right now. Um, that I can't see why you would take him out. But it it is it the offense is just struggling right now. Struggling. And I'm not sure what it what it's gonna take for them to get back on board. But it's like if this team could just click at the same time, it seems like that always seems to be the issue. If the pitching is the issue, then the hitting is not the issue. If the hitting is not the hitting is the issue, pitching is not the issue. They can't coordinate. They can't calibrate. And if they do, I mean, it's not going to take a lot to make the playoffs. Just make the playoffs, and then um, you know it's a whole other ball game, literally. So that's the Mets. Um, Good God. They're entertaining. I'll say that. There's there's no, never a dull moment with these assholes. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about the Giants, the NFL and the Giants. The uh, I guess the I, – I, I don't understand this, this opt-out deadline. You have to opt out by a certain deadline because it feels to me like a lot of players will just opt out whenever the hell they want. I don't think they need – you know, you're still going to see players opt out during the season, I think unless there's like severe penalties in the NFL that I don't know about because MLB got players opting out and opting back in left and right. But there were 66 total players, 67 players that opted out uh, from the deadline. Some of the biggest names, um, Travis, Travis Benjamin for the Niners, Eddie Goldman for the Bears. Mm, Andrew Billings for the Browns. Looking here, look, Damian Williams, who was uh, who's like a playoff gamer for the Chiefs. Uh, looking here, Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson the second for the Dolphins. Marquise Goodwin for the Eagles. Uh, we talked about Nate Solder last week. Damari Scott, Damari Scott, who's like a a wide receiver practice squad guy for the Giants. Uh, Sam Beal. And that's the one we're going to talk about. But other big names, Josh Doxson for the Jets, C.J. Mosley for the Jets, Geronimo Allison for the Lions, Devin Funches for the Packers. Pats had a lot of guys. Brandon Bolden, Marcus Cannon, Pratchett Chung, Hightower Lacoste, Marcus, Marquise Lee. Raiders had a trio of players, D'Anthony Thomas for the Ravens. And then, uh, yeah, those are pretty much the big names. But, yeah, Sam Beal is the latest giant to opt out. The legend of Sam Beal grows by the minute. This guy, I don't know that there's ever been a player more highly praised and touted and revered who has not seen like a lick of playing time. Yes, he came in towards the end. It was alternating with Baker on the outside last season and played. I don't, I don't honestly don't. I can't tell you. Played well, average. I mean, he wasn't. With all the talks surrounding him and how much, you know, he's going to be such an impact player and such a positive influence on the team, I didn't really see much. So I think you saw more out of Julian Love than he did Sam Beal. So that, him opting out, which, you know, it's fine. That combined with DeAndre Baker getting officially charged, the Giants are now short at corner. 
Uh, let's take a look at the charges on Baker. Let's see if I can find these. Prosecuted on four counts of robbery with a firearm. If convicted, mandatory minimum 10 years and up to life in state prison. So odds are not looking good for DeAndre Baker. So without Baker and without Beal, Giants have a kind of a shortage. It kind of clear. It's weird. It clears up the secondary competition a little bit, but there's also still a little, you know, there are not a lot of sure things in that secondary either. Of course, you got Bradbury on the one side. Your safeties seem to be a pretty set in stone. And now you don't have Beal or Baker on the outside. Who goes on the outside? Is home Darnay Holmes a guy that you plug in into the outside? Maybe. He'll certainly compete. And then on the slot, is it Julian Love? Is it Grant Haley? Is it Chris Williamson? So still a lot of question marks. And and so they're after the opt-outs, I think there's this Field Yates or whatever his name is. He he put out like the official cap space for each team after the opt-outs, and the Giants clock in at 12th most cap space with $21.4 million. And so people are like, oh, you got to go out and sign Javian Clowney. You got to go out and sign Yannick Nguakwe. You got to make a big free agent splash. I think I, I've been pushing for Logan Ryan uh, to be the guy that they target, and uh, we can now definitively understand that why the Giants have not signed Logan Ryan is because Logan Ryan wants to play safety. <laughs> he does not want to play corner. And apparently his agent emailed all 32 GMs with like a uh, chart highlighting his stats against all the top 32 safeties in the league or the top safety per team in the league. And his stats comparatively look really good or look, you know, comparable in line with all that. We have too many safeties, uh, oddly enough. We got McKinney, we have Peppers, and Julian Love is somewhat of a safety, and so and we have Nate Ebner now. So safety is not as much of a concern as it is corner, so it would be really great if Logan could reconsider and then move to the corner, but that doesn't seem to be happen, happening. Um, in the meantime, what is the deal with this Ross Cockrell thing, this deal? It was, welcome back, Ross Cockrell. And it was like, we're all like, hell yeah. Welcome back, Ross Cockrell. This is great. In uh, 2017, he had 74.1 coverage grade with the Giants. And then 2019, he had the eighth lowest NFL passer rating against uh, for a cornerback with a 68.1 QB rating. And he was injured all of 2018. But he's had three seasons of 70-plus coverage grade since 2015. Outside corner. Uh, lanky, biggish kind of guy. And then they were like, oh, and then today they say, oh, it's not, it's not finalized. There's still some more talks to be had. It's like, it's almost like Ross Cockrell saw the kind of reception he got on social media and was like, I need to negotiate this a little more in my favor. <laughs> you guys need me a hell of a lot more than you than I need you. So, I mean, just get the deal done. If you overpay a little, I mean, obviously you're not going to overpay too much, but you can overpay a little for this guy. A little hard up right now. So Logan Ryan's probably out. Ross Cockrell hopefully is in. 
even if he's not in or even if we do sign him, there are still five corners on other rosters who could help the Giants. I did not include the fifth. This is from Big Blue View. I did not include the fifth guy on this because it's just seemed like such a just like what? Why would you include that guy? So it's really for me, it's four corners that the Giants could target. And uh, Big Blue View makes a case for each one. The first is Nick Needham from the Dolphins. He emerged as a starter last season, but with the influx of talent, might be the odd guy out. And uh, it's possible the Giants could work a trade for him. Uh, and I think Big Blue said he's worth a third round pick, which seems a little high. So I don't know if I'd go that route. I'd rather not have to trade for a guy, especially if we have Cockrell. If we don't have Cockrell, then maybe we'd consider it. Justin Hardy from the Saints is number two on the list, six foot one, 195 with 4.36 speed. He's a converted wide receiver, and he might get cut due to uh, the Saints' wealth of talent. Um, third on the list is Tim Harris from the 49ers, 6'1", 205, 4'4", speed. He is injury-prone, but he did start in the Super Bowl, and he might end up on the practice squad. So, you know, I think he held his own against the Chiefs. I mean, tough. Travis Kelsey is the Kel- is the Kansas City Chiefs that end. It, that bothered me so much after the last episode that I couldn't think of fucking Travis Kelsey. And I, I like rattled off, as I'm trying to think of his name, I rattled off all like the things I know about him. And there were so many things I know about a guy that I couldn't remember his name. It pissed me off. Has a brother on the Eagles. who's an offensive lineman. He had his own dating show. He's uh, wanted to negotiate a contract as a receiver. Like all these things. All the things. Number 87. Blah, blah, uh, Number four, Quentin Meeks from the Chargers. 6'2", 210, good instincts, uh, and collected three straight multi-interception seasons at Stanford. That kind of piqued my interest because it's like the Giants are really high on Stanford guys right now. They got Blake Martinez. Was Cam Fleming also Stanford? I think they have a couple Stanford guys now. Um, so was Patrick Graham a, a DC at Stanford? Am I making that up? Probably. But uh, so they have an affinity for Stanford guys. I think the fifth player here was a, a Pat's corner. I don't know. Never heard of the guy. And they were saying that, oh, he played with Joe Judge. So maybe that's why they would bring him in. I don't know. So hopefully we can land a deal with Cockrell. And then it would be, I guess, it wouldn't hurt to add another veteran guy. But, you know, I don't think, I think people are, underestimating Darnay Holmes. I think Julian Love might have an opportunity to get some more playing time elsewhere outside of safety, possibly in the slot. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm not as, I'm not as worried, especially we get Cockrell about our secondary. Uh, taking a look. What else are my news and notes we got going on here? Um, yeah, Dave Gettleman is is quickly approaching Brody Van Wagenen status in terms of GMs uh, on the hot seat. Um, he's been on the hot seat for a while, and he's gotten a lot of criticism. And it's, I'm going to give you the cons first, and then the pros. All right. David Gettleman gave partially guaranteed contracts to quarterback Case Cookus and defensive end Oluwale Betiku as undrafted free agents, and both were released this weekend. And that goes back to what I was saying last week when it comes to dead money. A lot of the Giants are number one in dead money. 
um, at 116 million or something like that. That's just, it's just, I hate dead money. I hate it. And I understand it, but I hate it. It's like, uh, you know, I had a problem. Like I was worried that we were going to be late to the daycare because they charge you a $30 fee if you're late. And we're not that hard up as a family. $30 is $30. I mean, it's not that much, but just the fact that we're spending $30 for nothing for a penalty or fee for being like a minute late just boils my blood. Um, But so here's the pro. Giants are number two in football outsiders list of under 25 talent. So we have a lot of young talent, a lot of young talent that I don't think Pat Shermer knew what the fuck to deal with. But I think Joe Judge does know what to deal with. Uh, they Football outsiders lists our blue chip players as Will Hernandez, Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, Dexter Lawrence, and Andrew Thomas. I think there are a few more blue chippers you could probably add to that. Gettleman inherited a three-win Giants team with the number two pick in 18. Uh, ba 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 Barkley again broke a tackle on more than one fifth of his touches in 2019. Looks like a generational running back at just 23 years old. 18 hurries in his rookie season. Dexter Lawrence shows surprising versatility for a player who looks the part of an old school run stopper. Jones was the biggest surprise to get him as many surprising draft picks. Successful rookie season. Uh, They point out Darius Slayton might not replace Beckham, but his 9.6% DVOA rookie season showcased badly needed efficiency in field stretching. I mean, DeAndre Baker. Boy. I mean, speaking of DeAndre Baker, we traded, uh, this is, I think this is from Big Blue View, just to put things in perspective really quick. Um, oh, by the way, the Ravens are number one in on that list. So I mentioned that because it kind of makes you think, are we the next Ravens? There, I said it. Uh, the Giants traded... The 30th pick, for the 30th pick in the 19th tra- draft, Seattle traded away the 37th pick so that to get Baker, to get up to the 30th pick to get Baker, uh, we ended up giving up pick 132 and pick 142. Seattle traded away the 37th pick they got from, M- from the Giants and drafted offensive tackle Greg Little, who's become a decent player. They also drafted safety Ugo Chuk, Wu Amadi and Ben Burr Curvin at 132 and 142, respectively. Did any of those names jump out at you? No. So, yeah, we did trade up. We gave away, you know, our second round pick and two two more picks, but none of those picks have turned out yet. So, is it a horrible trade? Who knows what we could have done with those picks? Maybe we would have. You know, Seattle is terrible at drafting, so maybe we, you know, Gettleman is. I think he's better at drafting than at least Reese was. So who knows what Gettleman would have done with those picks if he kept them? But damn, really would love those back. Is it possible to get those back? So, 
How about this fun fact? Sterling Shepard is the longest tenured giant. Holy shit. He was drafted in 2016. The Leonard Williams designated with a non-football injury, which is that that was like the cherry on top of a shit news Sunday. I mean, it was just like hit after hit after hit. Rosas released. Baker exempt list plus, uh, you know, four counts with minimum 10 years in prison if guilty and solder ops out and... Um, and then we're just going to, then Beal opts out and it's like, we're just going to dabble a little Leonard Williams non-football injury on top of that. It's like, God damn. Um, <sighs> Jeremy Fowler spoke to nearly 60 NFL personnel, GMs, head coaches, exec scouts, vet players to stack top 10 players at 11 positions, and he got intel on nearly 200 players. And Saquon is the number one running back, and Evan Ingram is the number seven tight end. So, yeah, that's what's that. That's that's what's up. It's just It's just like... Is Saquon another Barry Sanders where he's just like such a amazing talent on such a shitty team that doesn't that maybe goes to the playoffs once? It's like I hope not. Um, Andrew Thomas is already a top twenty-five offensive tackle in the NFL. That's good news because he's going to be your starting left tackle. So, offensive line seems to be our biggest liability now. Um, we did sign Nick Gates the extension. I don't, I don't, I don't know. The more I think about this NFL season, I just don't know if it's going to happen. I mean, everyone seems to be acting like it's going to happen, but I just don't know if they, like. Can you really move around the schedule as much as the baseball, as Major League Baseball is, you know? And even baseball is struggling with that. So I don't know. I don't even know if this is going to be a season which fucking sucks. It just sucks. No college football. So the Pac-10 and Big Big uh, 10, Pac-12 and Big 10 have canceled their fall sports and are going to try and play in the spring, which... Really sucks, but it, if it means that we get NFL on Saturdays from the get-go as opposed to just like December or November after college football usually ends, then I don't know. I think that'd be kind of cool. I just uh, trying to – it's such a struggle, you know, trying to get two days of football in on the weekend in the fall when you're married, kids. And then um, Darius Geis, running back for the for the Washington football team. Uh, I was just mentioning how I thought the Washington running backs, that group, that crew, was severely underrated on the PFF list that we had. And, of course, I must have put the a, a jinx on him, a curse, because he's 
He's facing one count of strangulation, which is a felony, three counts of assault and battery, and one count of destruction of property. And he turned himself in, in, into authorities, so he's, he's donezo. Which could leave Washington in a tight spot if Adrian Peterson... I mean, AP is a pretty... All day. I mean, a day. All day AP. He's a pretty solid running back, but like, if he does get hurt... um. Who does Washington turn to? I mean, they still have Bryce Love, Peyton Barber, and McKissick, J.D. McKissick. So I think they got plenty of depth there. And then I kind of hate to end on a sad note. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, Bob Tisch, the uh, Giants co-owner, his daughter, Hillary Tisch, um, died at the age of 36. She had a severe bout with depression, which is unfortunate because, uh, you know, I've been diagnosed with clinical depression, so it's, it's tough, but, uh, what's the alternative? I guess that's what my mom always said. And it kind of stuck with me is like, well, what is the alternative? You know, the digital afterlife that we've seen in upload and, uh, in, archive doesn't exist yet that I know of. So what is the alternative? It's, it's, it's just sad that they, that, um, sometimes people, even with that in, in consideration, uh, decide to end it. So Hillary Tish, um, passed at age of 36, which really sucks. So I feel so bad for Bob Tish, but hate to end on a bad note, but I felt like it needed to be mentioned that you know, same old, same old that you hear every time, you know, someone talks about depression, just ease up on people a little bit, you know, some people are going through some hard shit and, uh, I don't know. I feel like I've turned mine around. I mean, if you listen to my shit from January, <laughs> there were some episodes there. I was like, are you on a cliff right now? And then, uh, you know, through therapy and medication that I've kind of righted the ship a little bit. I mean, anxiety is still, you know, I just, I mean, I spent the first like what hour, <laughs> half hour talking about my fear and anxiety. So it, it is real. Um, so, but there, I don't want to end on that note. I can't end on that note. So I will say this, even with Beal gone, I don't know that's a major loss. Baker gone. I mean, is it really a major loss? If we can finalize with Cockrell, which God willing it will happen, I think you have a pretty decent set of corners on the outside with Cockrell and Bradbury. The numbers have shown that. So at least we're getting guys that aren't going to get just fucking torched and manhandled all game, every game. So that's good. At least minimize the damage a little bit. You now have two what I would consider to be elite corners, uh, sorry, elite safeties. I think Jabril Preppers can take that next step if he stays healthy. He's a, he's a, he's just a, he's a playmaker. And Xavier McKinney has been described as a friggin' Isaiah Simmons who we were all over and wanted uh, with the number four pick in last year's draft. So I think that's a steal. And who knows how Dexter Lawrence develops? Leonard Williams 
in a what could be a contract year might come out the gate and just play out of his mind. Like Martinez probably has something to prove with everyone saying that he's slow and criticizing him, even though he's like been a tackling machine. You don't know where you're going to get out of Ryan Connolly coming back from injury. Marcus Golden is back. Combine him with Fackrell and Zimenez and Zoe. I mean, the defense, if they can just string four consecutive quarters of good football together, um, we'll, we'll see some more W's on the board. We'll get some more notches in the W column. Now it's now it's the offensive line, which, I mean, if you go by Madden, Andrew Thomas was rated higher than Soldier anyway. So really, I don't know what. I just got a feeling. I haven't watched enough Andrew Thomas over the course of games. I've seen highlights. I've read pieces. I've seen rankings. I think this dude is going to be our left tackle for a long time to come. I hope he is. And with that settled, the fact that you have depth for the first, I mean, even though we lost Solder and you lost depth, Cam Fleming is a good signing. Nick Gates, they just extended. So the, there's something there that people are seeing in him that maybe is flying under the radar that people don't notice right off the bat, but that he's a consistent, solid player. Zeitler is top of his game. Hernandez could have a bounce back year. Maybe it was just a sophomore slump. You got to figure out the center position, whether that's Gates, whether that's Lemieux. But I don't think the offensive line is as bad as people make it out to be. It's all about staying healthy. Can Jones stay healthy? I mean, he's bulked up. He's muscular. So I think he went the Phil Sims route. He realized, I, I can't play at this level with this kind of body frame. I need to bulk up a little bit so I can take a beating and stay healthy, stay in the game because – um, our team does better when I'm in. Saquon stays healthy. Engram stays healthy. Shepard stays healthy. Tate stays healthy. Healthy. Slayton stays healthy. If you can, if you can keep all these guys on the field for more than twelve games, you're going to come out of this with a winning record and possibly a playoff spot. And that's. And that's that. <laughs> that's my little spiel. That's my rant. That's my motivational speech. Stay healthy, y'all. Especially during this fucking pandemic. <laughs> Unbelievable. But I hope to God we have a football season. I hope to God. Yeah, so that's it. No movies or TV this week. Hopefully you enjoyed this uh, abridged version at a cool hour, 50 minutes. And, uh, We'll hit you up on the flip side. Adios, machachos.